Chapters twenty four, twenty five, and twenty six of Ruth Hall by Fanny Fern. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter twenty four The First Born. Oh, other tiny feet may trip lightly at the hearthstone, other rosy faces may greet us round the board. With tender love we soothe their childish pains and share their childish sports. But Benjamin is not. is written in the secret chamber of many a bereaved mother's heart, where never more the echo of a childish voice may ring out such liquid music as death hath hushed. Spring had garlanded the earth with flowers, and autumn had withered them with its frosty breath. Many a summer's sun and many a winter's snow had rested on Daisy's grave since the date of our last chapter. At the window of a large hotel in one of those seaport towns, the resort alike of the invalid and pleasure seeker, sat Ruth. The fresh sea breeze lifting her hair from temples thinner and paler than of yore, but stamped with a holier beauty. From the window might be seen the blue waters of the bay leaping to the bright sunlight, while many a vessel outward and inward bound spread its sails like some joyous white winged sea bird. But Ruth was not thinking of the sapphire sky, though it were passing fair, nor of the blue sea decked with its snowy sails, for in her lap lay a half worn shoe with the impress of a tiny foot upon which her tears were falling fast. A little half worn shoe, and yet no magician could conjure up such blissful visions, no artist could trace such vivid pictures, no harp of sweetest sounds could so fill the ear with music. Eight years since the little daisy withered, and yet to the mother's eye she still blossomed fair as paradise. The soft golden hair still waved over the blue veined temples. The sweet earnest eyes still beamed with their loving light. The little fragile hand was still outstretched for maternal guidance, and in the wood by the stream they still lingered. Still the little hymn was chanted at dawn, the little prayer lisped at dewfall. Still that gentle breathing mingled with the happy mother's starlit dreams. A little bright-eyed creature crept to Ruth's side, and, lifting a long wavy golden ringlet from a box on the table near her, laid it beside her own brown curls. Daisy's in heaven, said little Katy, musingly. Why do you cry, mamma? Do you not like to have God keep her for you? A tear was the only answer. I should like to die and have you love my curls as you do Daisy's, mother. Ruth started, and looked at the child. The rosy flush had faded away from little Katy's cheek, and a tear stole slowly from beneath her long lashes. Taking her upon her lap, she severed one tress of her brown hair, and laid it beside little Daisy's golden ringlet. A bright, glad smile lit up little Katy's face, and she was just throwing her arms about her mother's neck. To express her thanks, when, stopping suddenly, she drew from her dimpled foot one little shoe and laid it in her mother's palm. Mid smiles and tears, Ruth complied with the mute request, and the little sister's shoes lay with the twin ringlets, lovingly side by side. Blessed childhood, the pupil and yet the teacher, half infant, half sage, and whole angel. What a desert were earth without thee!
End of chapter 24 Chapter 25 Hotel life is about the same in every latitude. At Beach Cliff there was the usual number of vapid, fashionable mothers, dressy, brainless daughters, half-fledged, wine-bibbing sons, imprudent, whisker-dyed roos, bachelors anxious to give their bashfulness an airing, bronchial clergymen, in search of health and a text, waning virgins, languishing by candlelight, gouty uncles, dyspeptic aunts, whist-playing old ladies, flirting nursery-maids, and neglected children. Then there were hops in the hall, and sails upon the lake, there were nine-pin alleys and a gymnasium, there were bathing-parties and horseback-parties, there were billiard-rooms and smoking-rooms, reading-rooms, flirtation-rooms, room for everything but thought. There could be little or nothing in such an artificial atmosphere congenial with a nature like Ruth's. In all this motley crowd there was but one person who interested her, a Mrs. Leon, upon whose queenly figure all eyes were bent as she passed, and who received the homage paid her with an indifference which, whether real or assumed, became her passing well. Her husband was a tall, prim, proper-looking person, who dyed his hair and whiskers every Saturday, was extremely punctuous in all points of etiquette, very particular in his stated inquiries as to his wife's and his horse's health, very fastidious in regard to the brand of his wine and the quality of his venison, maintaining under all circumstances the same rigidity of feature, the same immobility of the cold, stony gray eye, the same studied, stereotyped conventionalism of manner. Ruth, although shunning society, found herself drawn to Mrs. Leon by an unaccountable magnetism. Little Katie, too, with that unerring instinct with which childhood selects from the crowd, an unselfish and loving nature, had already made rapid advances toward acquaintance. What road to a mother's heart so direct as through the heart of her children? With Katie for a medium, the two ladies soon found themselves in frequent conversation— Ruth had always shrunk from female friendship. It might be that her boarding-school experience had something to do in affecting this wholesale disgust of the commodity. Be that as it may, she had never found any woman who had not misunderstood and misinterpreted her. For the common female employments and recreations, she had an unqualified disgust. Satin patchwork, the manufacturer of German worsted animals, bead-netting, crochet-stitching— long discussions with milliners, dressmakers, and modists, long forenoons spent in shopping or leaving bits of pasteboard, party-giving, party-going, prinking, and coquetting, all those were her aversions. Equally with herself, Mrs. Leon seemed to despise these air-bubbles. Ruth was sure that, under that faultless marble exterior, a glowing, living, loving heart lay slumbering, waiting only the enchanter's touch to wake it into life. The more she looked into those dark eyes, the deeper seemed their depths. Ruth longed, she scarce knew why, to make her life happy. Oh, if she had a soul! Ruth thought of Mr. Leon and shuddered. Mrs. Leon was often subject to severe and prostrating attacks of nervous headache. On these occasions, Ruth's magnetic touch seemed to woo coy slumber, like a spell, 
and the fair sufferer would lie peacefully for hours, while Ruth's fingers strayed over her temples or her musical voice, like David's harp, exercised the demon pain. "'You are better now,' said Ruth, as Mrs. Leon slowly opened her eyes and looked about her. "'You have had such a nice sleep. I think you will be able to join us at the tea-table to-night. I will brush these long, disheveled locks, and robe these dainty limbs, though, to my eye, you look lovelier just as you are. You are very beautiful, Mary. I heard a couple of young ladies discussing you in the drawing-room the other evening, envying your beauty and your jewels and the magnificence of your wardrobe.' "'Did they envy me my husband?' asked Mary, in a slow, measured tone. "'That would have been useless,' said Ruth, averting her eyes. "'But they said he denied you nothing in the way of dress, equipage, or ornament.' "'Yes,' said Mary, "'I have all those pretty toys to satisfy my heart-cravings. They, equally with myself, are necessary appendages to Mr. Leon's establishment. Oh, Ruth!' and the tears streamed through her jeweled fingers. "'Love me, pity me, you who are so blessed. "'I, too, could love. "'That is the drop of poison in my cup. "'When your daughters stand at the altar, Ruth, "'never compel them to say words "'to which the heart yields no response. "'The chain is none the less galling "'because its links are golden. "'God bless you, Ruth. "'Tis long since I have shed such tears. "'You have touched the rock.' Forget that the waters have gushed forth. End of chapter 25 Chapter 26 October had come. Coy and chill in the morning, warm and winning at noon, veiling her coat of many colors in a fleecy mist at evening, yet lovely still in all her changeful moods. The gay butterflies of fashion had already spread their shriveled wings for the warmer atmosphere of the city. Harry and Ruth still lingered. There was beauty for them in the hillside's rainbow dyes, in the crimson barberry clusters drooping from the wayside hedges, in the wild grapevine that threw off its frost-bitten leaves to tempt the rustic's hand with its purple clusters, in the piles of apples that lay gathered in party-colored heaps beneath the orchard trees, in the yellow ears of Indian corn that lay scattered on the seedy floor of the breezy barn in the festoons of dried apples and mammoth squatches and pumpkins that lay ripening round the thrifty farmers doors and in the circling leaves that came eddying down in brilliant showers on the indian summer's soft but treacherous breath you are ill harry said ruth laying her hand upon his forehead slightly so replied harry languidly a pain in my head and a strong ague chill prevented Harry from finishing the sentence. Ruth, who had never witnessed an attack of this kind, grew pale as his teeth chattered, and his powerful frame shook violently from head to foot. "'Have you suffered much in this way?' asked the physician, who was summoned. "'I had the fever and ague very badly some years since, at the West,' said Harry. "'It is an unpleasant visitor, doctor. "'You must rid me of it as soon as you can, "'for the sake of my little wife, "'who, though she can endure pain herself like a martyr, "'is an errant little coward whenever it attacks me. "'Don't look so sober, Ruth. "'I shall be better to-morrow. "'I cannot afford time to be sick long, "'for I have a world of business on hand. 
I had an important appointment this very day, which it is a thousand pities to postpone. But ever mind, I shall certainly be better tomorrow. But Harry was not better tomorrow, nor the next day, nor the next, the doctor pronouncing his case to be one of decided typhus fever. Very reluctantly the active man postponed his half-formed plans and business speculations, and allowed himself to be placed on the sick list. With a sigh of impatience, he saw his hat and coat and boots put out of sight, and watched the different files as they came in from the apothecary, and counted the stroke of the clock as it told the tedious hours, and marveled at the patience with which he now recollected Ruth bore a long bedridden eight weeks martyrdom without a groan or complaint. But soon other thoughts and images mixed confusedly in his brain, like the shifting colors of a kaleidoscope. He was floating, drifting, sinking, soaring by turns. The hot blood coursed through his veins like molten lava. His eye glared deliriously, and the hand, never raised but in blessing, fell with fevered strength upon the unresisting form of the loving wife. "'You must have a nurse,' said the doctor to Ruth. "'It is dangerous for you to watch with your husband alone. He might injure you seriously in one of these paroxysms.' "'But Harry has an unconquerable dislike to a hired nurse.' said Ruth. His reason may return at any moment, and the sight of one will trouble him. I am not afraid, replied Ruth, between a tear and a smile. But you will wear yourself out. You must remember that you owe a duty to your children. My husband has the first claim, said Ruth, resuming her place by the bedside. And during the long hours of day and night, Regardless of the lapse of time, regardless of hunger, thirst, or weariness, she glided noiselessly about the room, arranged the pillows, mixed the healing draught, or watched with a silent prayer at the sufferer's bedside, while Harry lay tossing from side to side, his white teeth glittering through his unshorn beard, raving constantly of her prolonged absence, and imploring her in heart-rending tones to come to his side, and bring Daisy from the glen. Many a friendly voice whispered at the door, "'How is he?' The Irish waiters crossed themselves and stepped softly through the hall as they went on their hasty errands, and many a consultation was held among warm-hearted gentlemen friends, who had made Harry's acquaintance at the hotel during the pleasant summer." to decide which should first prove their friendship by watching with him. Ruth declined all offers to fill her place. "'I will never leave him,' she said. "'His reason may return, and his eyes seek vainly for me. "'No, no, I thank you all. "'Watch with me, if you will, but do not ask me to leave him.' In the still midnight, when the lids of the kind but weary watchers drooped heavily with slumber— rang mournfully in Ruth's ear the sad plaint of Gethsemane's lord. Could ye not watch with me one hour? And, pressing her lips to the hot and fevered hand before her, she murmured, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. End of chapter 26